This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Lord, we pray that you give us the strength, <clears throat> give us the guidance, and that you would give us your spirit that he may revive us again, that he may speak to us, and Lord, that he may lead us as well. We love you and we thank you for the story. And we pray, Father, that we would find that our stories cross with yours. And as we go into this session on cross words, Lord, speak to me, please. We pray, Father, that um, you would guide us in this session. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in the first session, we ended with a quote talking about the slaves, black slaves in America. And one of the things that shocked them was as they began to find their story in the story of the cross, and they they realized that going through their slavery, going through their abuse, that this was just a tale that had already been told. They've experienced this before. That there is something that struck them about Christ. And the thing that struck them is the first in the list of the words that we're going to address in this session. And that's found in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 34. So let's turn there together. Luke 23 and verse 34. This session is entitled Cross Words. Lord, speak to me, please. You find that when Jesus was crucified... There are typically described as seven last sayings of Jesus. So supposedly these are the seven last things that Jesus said. And there's a lot of interesting facts that I believe continue to build off of our first session. So Luke 23, verse 34. Are you there? Can you say amen? All right. The Bible says, before that, let's start um, in verse 32. It says, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now I want you to first understand that the the precursor to this phrase is important to get the story. You see, when we talk about cross words, we're looking at the fact that right before Jesus says this, his cross has just been thrown into the ground. So the Bible says that as soon as Jesus is hoisted onto the cross, hoisted into a hole, and he's feeling the first pains of crucifixion, his first reaction is not a cry of pain. It is not a prayer of strength. Lord, give me strength to bear this situation. His first reaction is, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. This is an interesting fact to know that the first words of Jesus as he's feeling the first pains is prayer. That even the pain of crucifixion, even the suffering of the divine judgment, even drinking the cup, 
that he wished would pass from him, his first reaction is to turn heavenward. His first reaction is to pray and that even in his pain, prayer will not stop Christ. And not only will it not stop Christ from praying, it won't stop Christ from praying a prayer of intercession. See, I, I can understand that in many of our stories. When we find ourselves in great suffering, our first reaction is to pray that this thing will go away. Am I telling the truth? Our first prayer is, Lord, please resolve this thing. We start claiming his promises, right? We say, Lord, you said in Psalm 50 verse 15, call upon you in the day of trouble and you will deliver me and I shall glorify you. So we claim your promise that you will deliver us from this situation, but that's not Christ's first prayer. It's not for himself. And it is a wondrous thing to think, first of all, that Christ's first reaction to his suffering is to pray. His first words are not to humanity, but his words are for humanity. His first words are to God in recognizing that, Lord, it is not about how they're offending me. It is not about the lashes. It's not about the crucifixion. It's not about the roughness of the soldiers. This is about what they're doing to you. He doesn't say, Lord, give me strength to forgive them. See, we have to start off in our own personal stories and recognize that when we find our story in the cross, sometimes we discover that we didn't handle our situation correctly. You see, when you and I are being wronged by someone, and we're talking about cruelly wronged, we're talking about injustice, miscarriage of justice. Our first reaction is, I don't deserve this. This shouldn't have happened to me. I prayed before I made this decision. Lord, you, you're the one who led me here. This is our first reaction. But we find with Jesus, he says, listen, my first thing is to pray. It is to turn to God, not to turn to the people. Jesus has the capacity to look beyond his own pain. Can you and I think of a time in our lives in our stories where we were able to look beyond our own pain and see God's. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, when you and I first think about our suffering, when you and I first think about our discomfort, we're not understanding that what we are feeling is only a microcosm. It is only an ounce of what he is feeling in your injustice. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's not sinking in. Okay, let me try it again. Christ doesn't say, Father, help me to forgive them. He doesn't say, I forgive you even because you don't know what you're doing to me. Christ doesn't say, listen, guys, Lord, give me strength so that I can maintain a Christ-like demeanor in the midst of this situation. Christ's prayer is, Father, you forgive them. You forgive them. Someone cannot forgive someone unless that person has wronged them. Are you following me? So because of that, Christ is looking down and he's saying, okay, when you and I are being mistreated, when you and I are being mishandled, our story says, you know what? I'm going to tell this person. I'm going to fight for my rights. I'm going to confront them. I'm going to let them know this is how you offended me. 
But Jesus says, what you need to do is not even let them know how they've offended God. What you need to do is go to the Father and say, Father, forgive them. And to argue and understand that what I am suffering, they don't even understand what they are doing. You see, the first thing that Jesus teaches us here is that prayer should be the first reaction. When we look at our stories in life, is there a time where we found that as soon as the pain set in, as soon as the discomfort came, our first reaction was to turn to God. Not for strength. Not for energy. Not for a right spirit. But for their own forgiveness. The second thing that Jesus teaches us in this first saying on the cross, on these cross words, is that Jesus remembers that he is still God's child. He hasn't forgotten his sonship in his pain. You see, it is very quick for us to start asking, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? When we look at our stories, you see, there's something about finding your personal story in the cross that there comes a day, brothers and sisters, and if it hasn't come, I pray that it will come. That when you and I are going through our pain, when we're going through our difficulties, we still remember that we are still sons and daughters of God. That we still remember that we can behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That we should be called children of God. That we can remember that now, beloved, we are the children of God. Now, even in pain. Now, even when I'm suffering innocently. Now, when I'm discouraged. Now, when I don't see a way out of my situation. Now, when I feel like I just don't have the energy to go on. I must remember my sonship. So he doesn't pray God, he says Father. Even though he doesn't hear from him, even though God is not strengthening him, even though he cannot sense his presence, he still calls him Father. God senses through Jesus that you and I can come to a place in our story when we can see beyond the pain. And we can say, I don't feel like God is with me, but I know that he's with me. And he's not just God with me, it's my Father that is with me. And in seeking and pursuing our personal story, I want to go beyond one other point before I, I, I turn this around. And that is, <laughs> Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Who is them? This pronoun is so elusive, but you're thinking maybe some help in the next part. So he says, for they do not know what they do. So you're like, okay, Lord, you're not helping us out here. Is he talking to the soldiers? Is he talking to Pilate? Is he talking to the crowd? Is he talking to the religious leaders and the priests? Is he talking to Peter? Is he talking to Judas? Is he talking to the Roman soldier that's throwing the cat of nine tails and that lacerated his back? Is he talking to the Sanhedrin? That condemned him to die. Is he talking to Herod and his soldiers that beat him? Who is he referring to? Because when Jesus says this, it is one thing to say that people prayed for their enemies. That's not a new thing. Abraham prayed for his enemies. 
Noah, Moses prayed for their enemies. But not while their hands were being nailed to a cross. Not while they were in the midst of their pain, they didn't do that. And so you ask yourself the question, where did the martyrs learn this? Where did those that come after Christ learn to look back and say, I'm not going to condemn you. My last words as you burn me at the stake are not going to be curses and anathemas. My last words are not going to be you're going to burn in hell for what you've done. But that I can sing a song as I'm burning to death. That I can let people know that God will even forgive you for this. That I can say like Stephen, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. They learned it from Jesus right here. And they said they saw as they were burning at the stake. They saw as they were being mistreated. They saw as there were false witnesses against them. There's my story. And when we find our story, we find strength to say what Jesus said. Once we connect and we say, you know what? I see myself in this. Just like the black slaves, they learned to recognize that even though their masters were racist, even though their masters raped their wives at night, even though their masters came in, they could still say Jesus died for him too. Black and white. And they could say with Christ, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. But can we? This is the first time you find that a man who is them, his cruelest enemies, people who hated him, people who were envious, people who despised him, that at the moment where his cruelest enemies are actually exercising their cruelty upon him, his response is, Father, forgive them. As if Jesus is looking for a reason for God to be merciful to them. Why add the component for they know not what they do? I want you to notice, brothers and sisters, that Jesus knows I'm still God's child, but the people mistreating me are not. Do you know what I'm talking about? Jesus is like, listen, even though I'm suffering, even though I'm broken, I'm still his son. I'm still his beloved in whom he is well pleased. Pain does not change my place in God's heart. That doesn't change how God views me. Because I failed, because I got kicked out, because my marriage fell apart, that doesn't mean I'm not his son anymore. I'm still his son. And as I am still his son, the one that is cruelly against me is not his son. Therefore, my issue is not to secure his condemnation. My issue is to secure his forgiveness. Jesus could have prayed, Father, enlighten them, for they don't know what they do. Amen. And sometimes we wish that people would see what they're doing to us. Father, enlighten this person and help them to understand that they're offending me, that this is hurting me, that this is breaking my life. You're destroying my flame. But Christ says, no, 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 no. That is not my prayer. My prayer is for their ignorance, forgive them. Because I can see in their heart that there's a point in their life where they don't even fully understand what they are doing. So you ask yourself the question, Lord, speak to me. 
Speak to me when I know I'm in the gall of wickedness. Speak to me when I know that I am like those soldiers. When I am like the rabble and the crowd. In the very gall of wickedness. In the heat of sinful desire and lust. When I know that what I'm doing is wrong. How does Jesus speak to me? Jesus says, Lord, forgive Sebastian. He doesn't even know what he's doing. That's what the Lord says to us. So there's someone in this room that thinks they've crossed the point of no return. There's someone who's thinking right now, as I'm speaking to you, you're looking into the basement of your soul. You're looking into the dark places of your life. You wish and hope and pray would never, ever come to light. Ashamed of something. Terrified that someone might find out or that if they do, they would not love you the same. But Christ says, I can speak to you today. And in your story of shame and of cruelty, of envy, of hatred, of greed, of wanting to help God out and do your own thing. And this was the result of your choice. Lord, speak to me, please. And Jesus' response is, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. How many of us don't know what it's like to have done something and then later on realize the gravity of our mistake? Does somebody know what I'm talking about? We made a decision. We did something wrong and we, we don't realize until much, much later, this is the gravity of my mistake. And at that moment of epiphany, when we come to it and realize, I shouldn't have treated that person that way. I should have never said that comment. I should have never gossiped. I should have never gone to that meeting and told those people what I told them. And all you're thinking is, Lord, how do I clean up the pieces? And it just seems to get worse and worse and more painful and more painful. And all you're thinking is, Lord, speak to me, please. Tell me what to do. How do I get out of this situation? Brothers and sisters, I've been to that dark place before. I've been to that place before. Where you're looking at your life, you're looking at your situation and you're saying, Lord, I don't see a way out. I don't see how this situation is going to change. I don't see how I'm going to fix this. And it's all my fault. But Christ's first words, those cross words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Christ says, you had no idea. You were ignorant of the gravity of your choice. You were ignorant of the consequences that would come from your choice. You were ignorant of the pain that it was bringing to the heart of God. And so God is saying, I'm willing to forgive. But brothers and sisters, we have to be willing to forgive at the moment of cruelty. You know, the hardest thing to do is to say these words in the moment of pain. I want you to keep in mind, brothers and sisters, the soldiers are right there. The crowd was right there. 
See, when I was growing up, I was a kid that was bullied in high school. And I cannot imagine to myself going through school and here comes this bully to beat me down again for no reason except because he can. That as the blows are being inflicted, I'm saying to myself, Father, forgive him. I don't see it. All I'm thinking is, I wish one day when I become bigger than you, the tables will turn. You know how many siblings think that? Yeah, when my big sister, my big brother does it now, but wait till I get older. And you see siblings in the gym working out. Why? Just for that one day. When he can look at his older sibling and say, you can't push me around this time. You're not going to hold me down and let your spit linger over my face. <laughs> yep, somebody had a flashback. So, <laughs> say, ugh, but we're all Christian in here, you know, so. We saw that on TV, right? So, so you find that the cross words, we end up finding our story in that. That I know what it's like to be in the moment of pain and the difficulty to look beyond my pain. You know, brothers and sisters, have you ever been in a situation where a person was offending you? And they were offending you so badly that it was hard for you to even remain Christian with them. Does someone know what I'm talking about? Yes? You don't have to be ashamed. I mean, we're honest here. So as you're sitting there in a conversation thinking, this person is saying these things to me, this person did this thing to me, and all we're focusing on is the fact that, you know what? I can't work with them anymore. Or maybe it's at your job, right? I can't be in the office with this person. You go to the supervisor, you're going to have to switch us up because this ain't going to work. I'm going to need a new place. Or maybe you're in the church board, Right? This person can't be in my department. Not this person. We don't get along. This is not turning out well. And why is it that when we decide to make that change, when we decide to go through this kind of realignment to say, I want to get this person who is offending me away from me because I can't handle being offended like this. I just can't handle their struggles. I can't handle their brokenness. Whatever they're dealing with is too much for me. But what we find in Christ is Christ says, I look beyond my pain. And one of the things that will solve that conflict in your life and in my life is when we're in there being offended, we look beyond the offense. Because you know there's a lesson of life that Jesus is acknowledging. And he says, hurt people, hurt people. The only reason why a person is being hurtful is because they're hurt. And that's a fact of life. So for you and I, immediately, when people are offending me, my first reaction is, I need to now change my focus from myself to them. So a person starts yelling. I mean, I travel to a lot of airports. If you want to see angry people, go to an airport. <laughs> it's the truth. 
And it's funny because you have people who are there at the table, the flight is delayed, right? And as they go to the, everyone's rushing the counter at the same time. And as they rush the counter there, the flight is delayed. I have to get home. My wife has surgery. I can't stay at this airport. And I'm looking at this guy like, what do you think? She's going to manufacture a private jet? <laughs> oh, you know what, sir? We have just such a uh, private jet for people whose wives are about to have cancer surgery. Thank you for letting me know. He said, no, it's not going to happen. So as people are approaching the desk, the stewardess, you know, the lady at the desk, she just puts her hand up to this person's face. She won't even look at them. Sir, I'm going to need you to back up off the podium. Back up, sir. I cannot help you right now. I will make an announcement when I'm ready to let you know what we're going to do. Have a seat. Go get some Taco Bell and have a seat. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. And why is she reacting that way? Because you already know how people are coming there, like ferocious lions. So she stops. So then after he gets the hand and is escorted back to his seat in his Taco Bell, <laughs> I thought, let me try a different approach. Okay? You know, come with a smile. How are you doing today, Darlene? Yeah, I'm just curious. Um, so how, how long is the flight delayed? She says, well, it's going to be delayed probably for an hour. There's really nothing we can do. I said, no, no, I'm not interested in, in uh, anything that can be done. I'm just curious to know, do you know if there's any other flights that may be leaving later? Maybe I could switch planes? Or She says, well, actually, there is another flight in three hours. If you want, I can just process that for you right now. I said, what time will it arrive? She says, well, it'll arrive actually just 30 minutes after this one. I said, really? And I said, so can you put me on this flight? She said, yeah, no problem. Let me see your... So she takes it, processes it. I walk away. She says, yeah, it's going to be the gate right there. And the guy looks at me and says, where are you going? I said, well, there's another flight leaving in three hours, but it arrives 30 minutes later. What? How come she didn't tell me? So he puts the Taco Bell down. <laughs> and he's going back to the podium. And... You're asking yourself the question, in his mind, why is it that she didn't tell me this? And I said, well, if you could look past your own pain and think about hers. You think she purposely delayed your flight? <laughs> she just pulled the plug, right? She went under the plane, yanked out some of the cords. I was like, yeah, this plane's going nowhere. <laughs> All y'all going to be discouraged. Happy holidays. You won't make it to GYC this year. <laughs> so now, if this is not the case, then Christ's first words on the cross speak to us by saying, one of the lessons of life that help us resolve pain in the midst of pain is to look beyond pain. My own. I'm not going to focus on what you're hurting me, how you're offending me, how this makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm looking beyond this, and my goal is to, first of all, give you the prayers of my heart, of your deepest soul concern, which is for forgiveness. Because imagine the day when they find out. Imagine the day when they realize what they have done. And the second thing is to recognize this person does not know what they do. We cannot give people enough mercy in that way. You know why you're, this person is talking to me this way? They don't know what they're doing. But, you know, we want to believe it, right? She knows. He knows. 
They know they're offending people. She was offended too. He was offended too. This is why this, these people should not be allowed here. And please believe it happens at GYC too. You thought people were Christian. Yes, I'm going to go there today. I used to run the seminars in GYC. Put the volunteers, we have doors, we have seat capacities. I remember years ago, C.D. Brooks was preaching in Baltimore, 2006. And as I'm there, I was training a new speaker liaison, this uh, short girl, she's you know, half Japanese, whatever. And she comes to me, she says, Sebastian, I need your help. I said, what's wrong? She says, uh, the seminar's full and people keep trying to come in. I keep telling them, but they're just ignoring me. I said, what do you just tell them? Listen, you cannot come in this seminar. She says, they won't listen to me. I'm too small. <laughs> I'm like, this is GYC. <laughs> just be like, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Back up off the seminar. She's like, no, that's not going to happen. So as a result, I walked to the seminar room. And as I'm there, right, these people are coming and they're standing on the back of the wall of the seminar. So I had to walk in and I said, excuse me, um, the seminar's full. You're going to have to find another seminar. Oh, no, I'm fine here. I'm fine here. No, you can't stand, sir. There's a fire code. And if the fire marshal comes in here, the whole conference will be shut down for your selfishness. So either you can find another seminar and try to come back or I can help you find another seminar. So the person looked at me, you know, they're like smacking their teeth. Man, these people, da, 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 da. So he's walking out, you know, making a whole scene about it. They leave, right? So then I'm standing in front of the door now. People are walking up. Excuse me, I'm trying to get into seminars. This one's closed. Um, it looks like it's still going on. It's full. And they're like, well, I feel like we should still be able to get in. I understand that's how you feel. But you're not going to get in this seminar. So now all three of them begin to come at me at the same time. So why are you blocking people? People trying to hear the word of God. <laughs> then I saw my spiritual mother walk by. I said, uh, Mom, I'm going to need some assistance here. So she comes over. And she comes. She says, hi, young ladies. How are you doing today? Yep, I'm Dr. Such and Such. And they're like, hi, pleasure to meet you. She said, what's your name? Okay, and your name? Okay, pleasure to meet you. Where are you ladies from? Okay, this and this. And what church do you guys go to? Oh, we go to that. Oh, I know that church. That pastor Sutter's. Yeah, 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 absolutely. She says, well, ladies, apparently this seminar is full. And so I trust that you prayed about which seminar to go to. And if this one happens to be full, then God has a blessing for you somewhere else. And I said, that's my mama right there. <laughs> so they left. So, I, you know, I came to my spiritual mother afterwards and I said, you know, Ma, how did you do that? And she said, Sebastian, sometimes you have to forget that you're being offended. You have to forget that you're being offended. You need to put yourself aside. Let it go. You're no one special. And you need to handle people like they are the purchase of Jesus' blood. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. I want to go to the next one, Luke 23. The next thing that Jesus says, Luke 23, verse 43. 
He's talking to this thief on the cross, and I'm going to start in verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Lord, speak to me, please. We have times in life where this thief had come to a realization that his whole life was lived in rebellion. His whole life had been wasted following the wrong person. If you came to the first session, then you remember we read that quote from Desire of Ages where she says that Barabbas had claimed to be the Messiah. He had claimed that he was given authority by God to create a new order and these two thieves were probably following him. Hence the statement, if you are the Christ, then save yourself and us. Because Barabbas, when he was released, he didn't come back for them. So now they're saying, look, save yourself and us. As the thief realizes in his mind, I'm dying. This is my last day on earth. I've come to the end. And as he comes to the end of his life, he realizes as he looks at Jesus, who is in the same situation as him. Now, this is where it gets crazy, because you're, you're asking yourself, how can Christ, in the middle of dying, turn to someone and say, assuredly, I say unto you today, you will be with me in paradise. See, what he was telling the man when he talks about how you and I struggle with the issue of assurance. You and I struggle with coming to that place and recognizing that you and I have the assurance of salvation. That we can rest assured that we will be with Jesus in paradise. You always hear these questions, right, from young people. So let's say I tell a lie and then as I'm crossing the street to the other convention center building, I get hit by a car. Am I going to heaven? You ever heard that question before? Am I going to heaven or hell? I mean, I sinned. I didn't have time to repent. I was like, Lord, boom, hit by the car. <laughs> I'm lost, right? No. Being in and out of Christ is not like a physical space. Either you in the room or you out the room. That's true in principle, but that's not how it works in life. Christ looks at the thief and he says, how is it? That this man is dying on the cross, suffering for his crimes, in great pain, that he would trust in a man who's in the same pain as him. Listen, there was an old preacher that said, the best thing you can do for the poor is not be one of them. It's the truth. You can't help a poor man when you're poor. So you're like, oh, let me help you manage your finances. Your finances are a mess. You're not helping anybody. Let me help you with your health and your diet. Well, brother, you, you're not very healthy, so how are you going to help me? 
So it, it, it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive to think that this man would look upon this Jewish rabbi dying on a cross and say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you understand how much theology is in that statement? In other words, this man believed Jesus ain't going to be on the cross forever. This man believed that Jesus was a king. This man believed that Jesus would come into his kingdom. And that Jesus would bring people with him. This man believed that what he was looking at was a temporary situation. What he was looking at was the way of salvation. And he says, before Jesus dies and before I die, I'm going to say, Lord, remember me. But you see, what do we do in those times when we're overwhelmed by the wickedness of our lives? What do we do when we're overwhelmed by our past? By the tendency of the life? One of the most encouraging quotes from Steps to Christ, she says, it is not the occasional good deed or the occasional misdeed, but it is the tendency of the life. That's encouraging when you've had time as a Christian. But what happens when you've been a rebel all your life? And now you're dying. You've been rotting in prison. And now you're sitting in the electric chair. You're waiting for the lethal injection. And as they inject you with the potassium, you are experiencing it right now. And at that moment in time when your whole life flashes before you and you're thinking... What have I done for the Lord? Why would God save me? My whole life has been rebellion, jealousy, murder, lust, selfishness, hatred, envy, pleasure seeking. Why would Jesus save me? And all he can say to Christ is, Lord, remember me. Why? Because he defended him. That's all he could do. And so in those moments when you and I are overwhelmed by the evil of our lives, we pray the same prayer, Lord, speak to me, please. And God says, these are my words. Assuredly, I say unto you today, you'll be with me in paradise. This is the greatest argument for the fact that works don't mean anything. He couldn't get off the cross and start serving the Lord. He would never go to become a deacon. He would never go to give a personal Bible study. He would never go to preach a sermon. He would never go to evangelize. He would never go to raise godly children. He would never go to marry a woman, a godly wife, and lead her to heaven. He would never, ever go to serve God. He would just die on that cross next to him. All he had for Jesus was faith. That's all he had. Lord, remember me when you come. And Christ says, listen to me. If you just have faith, if you just trust me, despite the circumstances, assuredly, that word is enough to cause the weakest Christian to rejoice. There's not many times that Jesus says, assuredly. He says, assuredly, I say unto you, unless a man is born again. He will not see the kingdom of God. But this time he says, assuredly, I say to you, 
you will be with me. You who have spent your whole life in rebellion, you who have wasted your whole existence, your potential on selfish desires, you have been a source of sedition and conflict, murder and pain, bringing sorrow to hearts and to homes, you will be with me. And he doesn't say you'll be with me, he says assuredly. I can tell you one of the greatest needs in our church and especially among young people, is the assurance of salvation. How confident are you that Christ will save you? How confident are you? And I don't mean confident when you're at GYC. Right? We're singing all the hymns, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. When we're all listening to spiritual messages, when we're in hotel rooms with people who paid thousands of dollars just to come to hear the word of God preached. And I'm talking about when you get back on the plane. And when you go home and you're thinking, I had a spiritual high. And then you fail. And you make one of the biggest mistakes of your Christian life. Are you confident then? Or do you want the Lord to speak to you? And all we're thinking is, Lord, I deserve it. Lord, I failed you. Lord, I'm overwhelmed. I just don't see how God could use me after this mistake. And in your personal story, God says, assuredly, I say unto you, you'll be with me. All you bring is faith. That's why the song says, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. I'm sorry for that soul today that is still struggling to accept that they have a guaranteed place in the kingdom. I'm sorry for that soul today that is discouraged and thinking, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it to heaven. I'm sorry for that soul today that is worried about, will I make it through the time of trouble? I'm sorry for that soul today that feels like, if I just do more devotions, if I just do more evangelism, if I just pray harder, if I just memorize more scripture, then I'll have the assurance looking for assurance in all the wrong places. And he says, assuredly, I say unto you today. And it's like we're afraid to give people the assurance of salvation. You're going to heaven. You're going to walk the streets of gold. You're going to put on a long white robe. You're going to wear a golden crown. You're going to have harps. You're going to fellowship with angels. You're going to see unfallen worlds. Assuredly, I say unto you today. You don't hear it. We're not saying there's no conditions. We're not saying that it doesn't require faith. Our whole Sabbath school lesson was about faith and works. What we're saying is, this is what the Lord says to you. When you say, Lord, I have no other hope, I have no other plea. 
Lord, speak to me, please. How am I going to survive? I have to wrap up. And so I want to end with a story that a friend shared with me. He told this story about this guy who was a tightrope walker. (laughs) And when he shared this story with me, I was really impressed with the story. So I said, you know what? I have to share this again. He told the story about this man who was walking this tightrope. And the people said, you know, this guy is amazing. He's inspirational. So then he decided to take his tightroping skills to the next level. And he said, guys, I'm going to walk across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And I'm like, okay. So the people said, no, that's not a good idea. The rope is less than half an inch wide. It's a thousand feet across, long drop. This could be a very ugly situation. But he says, no, I will show you I can do it. So a small crowd gathered. Most people didn't come because they didn't want to see a man fall to his death. So as they went back to the line, they saw him make it to the other side. Then he says, do you think I can come back? They say, oh, sure. Sure, maybe you can come back. But hey, be careful. So he comes back. Then he says, okay. How about while boiling an egg? I'll cross to the other side. So they said, I don't know about this. Maybe this is not a good idea. So he walks across while boiling an egg. He says, and I can't just go over. I can come back. So next thing you know, now they're chanting this guy's name, Blondair. He says, Blondair, you're amazing. This is amazing. They're like, wow, you could do anything. He says, are you sure? He says, yeah, we're sure. So now he decides, you know what? I'm going to go backwards. No, this is crazy. They said, but you can do it. <laughs> you can do it. So they're cheering. He goes on the rope and he's going backwards. Goes across, comes back. Now the crowd has grown. People can't believe it. The word is spreading. This guy's tightroping across Niagara Falls. Oh, he's boiling eggs. He's going backwards. They couldn't believe it. They said, this guy's amazing. And then he said, someone bring me a wheelbarrow. So then they brought the wheelbarrow. And he says, do you guys think I can do anything? They said, yeah, man, Blondair, you could do anything. How many guys think I could do anything? Man, Blondair, you could do anything. You're amazing. You're fantastic. We've never seen anything like this. He says, okay, who wants to climb in the wheelbarrow? (laughs) So I can take them to the other side. No volunteers. But you can do anything. (laughs) How many of us, we look at Christ and we say, Jesus can save anyone. Jesus can save any soul to the uttermost. He can save the darkest life. He can change the most wretched sinner. He can change the darkest heart, the hardest mind. And Jesus says, you think I can do anything? Yes. You think I can save anyone? Yes. Who will volunteer? To jump in the wheelbarrow with Christ. We like to cheer. We like to talk about the power of the cross. The blood that will never lose its power. For it reaches 
to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley? The blood. But we don't want to jump in and fully trust him. So Christ can say, assuredly, I say unto you today. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Father in heaven, as our time has come to an end, we're grappling with assurance. And maybe there's someone here that says, I believe that Jesus can save. I believe that his blood is sufficient. That his death and his high priestly ministry is enough to save the most wretched sinner. But Lord, there's someone here that is questioning. There's someone here that their heart is shaking in indecision. They're not sure They're not confident that they can make it as they continue to trust in Christ. And today you want to give that soul assurance. There's someone here right now that says, Lord, I'm no longer going to dwell in the darkness of despair. I'm no longer going to stay down in discouragement and worry and anxiety about my salvation. I want to trust it wholly to Jesus. I want to be able to leave this seminar room Hearing the words ringing in my mind, cross words. Lord, speak to me, please. In my darkest moments, assuredly, I say unto you. If that person is you, I want to invite you to stand to your feet right where you are. Say, Lord, give me the assurance. Give me the confidence. When I'm overwhelmed by my sin, when I'm overwhelmed by the darkness of my soul, when I'm discouraged by my mistakes, Help me to believe assuredly that you will say to me today that I'll be with you. That I can have the assurance because of Jesus and what he has done. Father, you see the hearts that have been lifted. And I pray as they stood, the burdens rolled away. The care, the worry, and the fear. And that they can walk away from this room with peace that passes all understanding, with the joy of salvation, to know that they have assurance in Christ and that they can trust him and that he will keep them under his wings till the storm of life is past. Their anchor will hold. Thank you, Lord, for these words of Jesus. Help them to echo in our hearts as we go throughout this day is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.